Welcome to the Danish National Biobank podcast. We've been gone for quite a while due to the coronavirus pandemic. We return now, however, to give you this special series. With speaks from our co-hosted symposium, Scaling Omics Approaches to Population Size. This is Naomi Allen of Oxford University and UK Biobank. On the topic, the 500,000 sequencing initiative in the UK Biobank. Okay, great. Th- thanks very much for for inviting me. Um, I'd, I'd like to spend a bit of time um, talking with you about the why and the how of large scale genomics and other omic initiatives, actually, um, that we're currently taking forward in, in UK Biobank. So UK Biobank, in a nutshell, is a prospective study where we are following the health of half a million people in the UK to understand how lifestyle genes and environment factors all interact to cause diseases in some people, but not in others. It's um, arguably the most accessible, the most in-depth, largest, easy to use and most flexible biomedical data resource in the world for research use. And our sole aim actually is to enable scientific discoveries to improve human health. We're largely funded by the Wellcome Trust and the Medical Research Council in the UK, although we also do have some funding from local government bodies and charities and so on. So UK Biobank is a study where we have a unique combination of large-scale data on half a million participants. You can see the the map on the left there was our 22 assessment centres across the country. We recruited people aged between 40 and 70 years old who lived within about a 30-kilometre Um, radius of each of the assessment centres, and we recruited them between 2006 and 2010. They're deeply characterised. We have over 2,000 different measures of them, lifestyle, physical measures, medical history. For some, we have multimodal imaging data and so on. And because participants came to an assessment centre, all of the data are highly standardised and curated. We also have biological samples, such as blood, urine and saliva, on the full cohort. And uh, crucially, we also have linkage to electronic health records for all of the participants, so we can follow them up over time to find out who developed certain diseases, and we now have over 10 years of such such follow-up. And perhaps uniquely, um, UK Biobank is readily accessible to researchers worldwide to do public health research. So since recruitment ended in 2010, we've been continuing to collect Um, a huge amount of data on this cohort, such as repeat assessments in small subsets, um, annual-based web questionnaires to collect information on outcomes um, that uh, are not easily captured through linkage to medical records, so things like cognitive function, pain, sleep, and so on. We have physical activity monitoring data on 100,000 participants. We have a full range of baseline biochemistry measures, things like cholesterol, triglycerides, vitamin D, sex hormones, and so on, on all half million participants. 
We have genotyping data on all half a million, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. And we also have multimodal imaging data, which we're currently collecting with the aim to collect this on, on 100,000 participants um, over the next few years. So a wealth of data on, the, on these participants. When we set up UK Biobank over 10 years ago, the primary aim was really to look at gene environment interactions. And this is important because researchers, we want to know the extent to which genetic factors influence disease risk in the general population to help us better understand um, the genetic causes of disease and the mechanisms through which genes and environment influence disease risk. And obviously, this has led to a much broader conversation about precision medicine, which I'm sure you're all very familiar with, um, whether we can target therapy to those individuals with a genetic predisposition to developing a certain disease. And UK Biobank is the largest study in the world that has extensive genomic data coupled with all the lifestyle and physical measures and the linkage to electronic health records. And I think it's true to it's it's true to say it really has been transformative so far in terms of accelerating the use of genetic data in public health research and enabling scientific discoveries. So the genome-wide genotyping data was released in 2017. This uh, was uh, we, we assayed. 850,000 SNPs across the genome and imputed that to over 90 million variants using a couple of reference panels. We're currently doing imputation using the TopMed panel now, and that will be available sometime next year. And based on those data that were released a few days ago, GWAS is now considered a routine analysis to do. Um, and there's many um, online search engines that are produced by the Stanford, the Broad, and Edinburgh, where you can go online and you can see the GWAS results for hundreds, if not thousands, of traits that are available in the UK Biobank. And this has been made possible through its large size, the standardized measurements of genomics, and also the, the phenotyping and the linkage to health records. Another example where the um, genetic data is really starting to um, create scientific discoveries and novel research is through the, the work on polygenic risk scores. So this is an example of the, the graph you can see in the middle of a polygenic risk score developed by the Broad investigators where they created a risk score for coronary heart disease. And you can see that those who are unlucky enough to be in the top fifth percentile of genetic risk for coronary heart disease have over a three times the risk of developing this condition compared to the rest of the population. And an individual's genetic risk was found to be independent of known lifestyle risk factors, such as smoking, obesity, and lack of physical activity, and so on. So this means that you know, if clinicians knew your, your genetic predisposition for developing coronary heart disease, you could then tailor either screening programs or tailor preventative um, measures um, to that group who are at high risk of developing the disease. So this type of research has really generated an awful lot of interest in the research community worldwide of how to implement genetic risk scores into, into public health practice. This has um, led on to um, interest in taking this one step further and collecting more detailed information on genomics through exome and whole genome sequencing. 
So enhancing this rich resource through whole exome sequencing enables researchers to extend their genetic investigations to include rare variants not captured by the existing genotype chip, to primarily to accelerate drug discovery work. So whole exome sequencing measures all of the genetic variation in the coding regions of the genome, which codes for proteins, which is about 2%. And um, particularly drug discoveries, uh, a, a drug pharmaceutical companies, um, are interested in this because drugs are much more likely to succeed if it targets a genetic variant known to be associated with the disease. So because of this, um, a consortium of big pharma led by Regeneron have invested in UK Biobank to um, perform whole exome sequencing on all half a million individuals. Data for the first 50,000 was available in March last year. Data for 200,000 were made available a couple of weeks ago and data for the rest of the cohort will be available um, um, next year. A consortium funded by the government, charity and industry have also grouped together to perform whole genome sequencing in all half a million participants, because this measures the entire genetic variation along the genome. This is also currently underway. It's being performed by the Sanger Institute in Cambridge and DECODE in Iceland. Um, the first 200,000 participants' data will be available about this time next year, with the rest of the cohort data being available in a couple of years' time. Other large-scale initiatives are also underway um, in terms of measuring biomarkers and other omics. So colleagues in Leicester in the UK um, are measuring telomere length in all half a million individuals to gain insights into biological ageing. These data will be available um, early next year. And Nightingale Health from Finland are measuring NMR metabolomics in all half a million people. So this is essentially just over 200 circulating markers of mainly lipids in the body. Um, and these data that for the first 120,000 participants will be made available in the first half of next year with the data for the rest of the cohort coming thereafter. So what this means is that industry is, over the last couple of years is effectively becoming quite a substantial funder of UK Biobank. You know, these assays cost millions of dollars and such large-scale investment is simply not feasible for most public sector sources. And it highlights the effectiveness of our data sharing model because without easy access to the data, there's just no way that um, industry would, would, would engage with us in order to, to um, enhance the resource. It does mean that um, any researcher who wants to access our samples to perform assays, we do allow them to have an exclusive period of about nine months usually in order to, to get a head start on their research before we make that data more widely available to the research community. It is massively accelerating the rate at which the samples that are just stuck in the freezer are being converted into data and then can be used by the global research community. And it's also building expertise at the cutting edge of life sciences due to the advances in technology that are happening all the time. And um, I, I really do think that these data are potentially transformative in the terms of the science that it will enable um, it will it will certainly enable novel scientific discoveries, discoveries uh, particularly around drug targets and drug developments, with the ultimate aim, of course, to improve public patient outcomes. 
So it's one thing to have all of these data on half a million participants. We have lots of phenotyping data, lots of genomic data. Um, but really, when you're interested in looking at the causes of disease, you want to follow up individuals over time to find out what happens to them in terms of the diseases they develop, disability, quality of life, so on and so forth. That means for a study of this size across the country, we need comprehensive, scalable and cost effective methods to link to electronic uh, medical records. I just thought I'd show you an example of how we're um, making regular and rapid updates of electronic health records to the research community to facilitate COVID-19 research. So we have access to the antigen swab test data uh, for participants, access to death records, hospital admission, hospital inpatient admissions, including critical care, and also primary care records that we're making available to researchers on an approximately monthly basis, so pretty rapid, um, in order to really facilitate um, timely uh, COVID-19 research. And as you can see, there are already a fair few thousand cases of COVID-19 in the UK biobank population. And what this is doing is enabling research from researchers worldwide to perform research on the association of lifestyle, underlying health conditions, medications, genetic factors in relation to COVID-19 across the full disease spectrum, because we're not just focused on participants hospitalized for COVID-19, but those in the mass population as well. So far, about 670 research groups have accessed these data since April or May. Um, and there are, to date, there are about 60 papers published so far, but that's increasing every single day. It's hard to keep up with it. Um, and you can see here some of the examples of the types of research that are being done. People looking at ethnic disparities in hospitalization for COVID, the relationship between lifestyle factors, inflammation, vitamin D, and genetic factors, of course, and how that influences COVID-19 severity. Researchers are also using UK Biobank data to contribute to collaborative initiatives uh, that are specifically looking at how genetic factors uh, are associated with severe COVID-19. So a couple of examples here, where we're contributing data to the host genetics initiative and the genomic study, which is focusing on critically ill um, patients. And of course, the aim of all of these collaborations is to see whether there are genetic variants that are associated with severe COVID-19 that may guide treatment strategies and preventative guidelines and so on. So UK Biobank, none of this could happen if we weren't be able to share our data widely. The data is available to all bona fide researchers for all types of health-related research that's in the public interest. There's no preferential or exclusive access, so it's a level playing field for both academic and commercial researchers. Uh, we work on a cost recovery basis, um, so we're not making a profit. We are a registered charity. We do ask researchers to um, publish their findings and then return the results back to us so that we can then make them available for others to, to learn from. Um, and this data sharing model enables both academia and industry to collaborate and be engaged to benefit the wider research community at large. And that's exactly what we're starting to see. So in 2012, when we opened for business, we had just over 300 uh, re researchers registered to use the resource, mainly from the UK, because they were the ones that knew about us. 
And then in last year alone, we had just under 6,000 researchers signing up to use the resource. The large majority were from overseas. So overall, we now have over 17,000 approved researchers in over 17 countries. So it really is now becoming a truly international national resource. I just want to say a quick word about the future uh, of, of the cohort. So as you, as you can see from the, the past few minutes, we're a resource that has a massive amount of data, particularly with the whole genome sequencing data. Um, we, we will grow to 15 petabytes over the next few years. Now that's equivalent to about four and a half times the entire Netflix catalog. And even with the best internet connection in the world, that would take about three months to download. So our current data sharing model, whereby researchers download the data onto their own um, onto their own computers, is just simply not sustainable. So what we're going to do is to move towards um, a cloud-based um, approach, um, where researchers will log into a research analysis platform, so they can do all of their analyses in situ. And so we're working with um, DNA Nexus, who are setting up the platform, um, being powered by Amazon Web Services for the, for the cloud. So we're moving towards a model where the compute power moves to the data rather than the other way around. And we're hoping that this will democratize access so that researchers from low and middle income countries, researchers who don't have the super computers, will be able to access the data because, because it will all be in the cloud. And it also means that the research analysis platform, not only will it contain the data, it also contains the data tools you need to do your analyses. It will contain you know, the analytical tools, the visualization tools, the bioinformatics tools for you to do your research. So it's highly flexible, scalable, and more secure um, than our current data download model. So we're looking forward to rolling that out um, next year to the research community. So I just want to leave you with this kind of heat map of the world of um, the main data and research that um, the research community are using UK Biobank. You can see that genetics is you know, pretty pivotal to the research, but it's also being used for a wide range of different types of research that, that's in the public interest and that will just continue um, um, for the next you know, 10, year, 10 years or so. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Naomi, we'll give you a hand here from Copenhagen. <laughs> Thanks very much.